Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. My name is Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Welcome, one and all. It has been a long time, it feels like, Lucas, since you and I sat down to record an episode. Um, you know, I know we had an interview in there with uh, Trevin Wax. We've had a couple of, like, re-uploaded episodes. And so it feels like since Heresy Month, we really haven't met virtually or face-to-face, however you want to say it, you know, over FaceTime and all of that. Um, but... We're back with fresh content. We're back uh, with actually a, a listener-recommended episode, one that I'm really interested in. So I figured uh, to begin here, I will read the original message, or at least part of it, from, from said listener. So uh, this is what he said. As a Roman Catholic, I really appreciate good Protestant perspectives on the issues. So again, thank you for doing what you guys do. To the point, since we're out of heresy month, you guys should do an episode on ethical veganism slash vegetarianism and how people justify such a system of ethics through the Bible. Uh, Ethics of risk, the idea of, quote, causing pain, etc., would be super interesting to discuss, I think. End quote. So this comes from Elliot. Um, I believe, Lucas, this is somebody you know based on, like, how the email started. Is that true? Yep. Yeah, me and me and Haas used to work at uh, Starbucks together. Ooh, nice, very cool. Um, <laughs> well, that makes it even you know more fun to tackle this issue. So uh, now that we have the introduction out of the way, let's jump into it. Um, I guess I will start here with a definition, and then I will kick it to you, Lucas. Um, what I was what I was really interested in was this idea of ethical veganism slash vegetarianism. And I think maybe our listeners know, maybe they don't. I, I was not as informed as I thought I was. Um, at the outset, I will say I am I have two family members, actually three now, three that are like vegans. Like I don't know exactly what type of vegans, but they um, that's the diet that they hold to. Um, I'm also friends with a number of people that are vegetarian. Uh, so I have firsthand experience with this. What I wasn't as aware of, I guess I'll say, is the, the, the different types, or maybe you'll say like the subsets of veganism. So this idea, though, of ethical veganism, um, it's a moral opposition to any action that exploits animals. It goes much deeper than just the foods that are eaten or desire to help the environment by eating less meat. It looks at the relationship between humans and other animals and the ways in which they are treated. Ethical veganism is a moral viewpoint that affects every aspect of a person's life. So again, that was sort of the definition of ethical veganism over and against other types of veganism. So uh, what do you want to say here, Lucas, at the outset? Maybe you're wanting to address Elliot directly. Maybe you have other definitions. What are your thoughts? Um... Yeah, I mean, I just, I just thought we would kind of. Well, I should say, I guess I should rephrase all of that. Um, the way I think of this question in general, and thought about it with respect to trying to answer it in this sort of format, where we uh, have uh, this kind of discussion together, is to think through. So we're dealing, you know, more sort of a, a, a more 
uh, well, not well-rounded, but a more, f a, a, a different sort of approach to diet, right? A different sort of approach than simply what, like, like the definition you just read, um, you know, I think, I think most often of people who cut out meat or animal products for health reasons, um, and, and that the potential or perceived and actual health benefits of a plant-based diet, whether that's just eating no meat, um, or at least very, very little meat or not any, you know, maybe no red meats, but you'll still eat fish or poultry, that kind of thing. Um, or cutting out all animal products altogether, um, especially I think of things like dairy, besides meat, things like dairy that have real um, potential, it, it, just for potential health benefits to avoiding consuming those food products. We'll say we'll say it that way. But to go what we might think of as a step further um, to approaching a question of what do I eat or not eat on the basis of eth an ethical question. Um, I think that on the one hand, I, I'm quite sympathetic to approaching that question of diet or, you know, things I, I choose to eat or not eat from that perspective, or, or at least to take seriously something more than simply, you know, the way I think you and I, in our context, probably most people listening, um, the way we're sort of trained to think about food, I think has much more to do with just sort of desire and appetite and, you know, availability and convenience than even than health benefits, although obviously there are exceptions to that, um, even within our own culture and society. You know, a, a, an obvious example, Jensen, is like, I don't have to think about my um, glucose intake because I don't need to think about my glucose level within my bloodstream, right? Like, and, and so obviously there are people who we come from the same um, culture and the same nation, but like we have very, automatically, you know, we have different relationships with food, with our diets based on health. But to go a step further for those who are not, you know, restricted by health issues from certain foods, but to, to analyze and question what it is that we're eating by um, an ethical framework, something bigger than simply my own passions and appetites and desires yeah. or what I think tastes good, I think is, is like right off the bat, the right way to think about, like, if you're going to think about your diet, which you should, um, you should have these questions in mind because these are really, really big questions, which can make them sort of, you know, more annoying to answer, more difficult to answer. And so you might not want to put in the work to answer them, but certainly I think it's important to, to think about. Yeah. Particularly for, you know, again, you and I are great representatives of this. I'm sure the vast majority of people who listen um, would be would also you know this would describe them as well but um, I don't produce any of my own food uh, at all a and if I were to suddenly need to produce all of my own food I would be in a lot of trouble <laughs> and um, <laughs> and there's something there there's an added layer of um, the consumption of the things that make up our diet uh, because we live in a world racked by sin, so even all of our consumption patterns are not automatically neutral or good. Um, 
which is a different conversation, obviously. Yeah. Um, but my point at the outset is just to say, like, this is a this is how if you're going to think about what it is that people eat or how people eat, um, you know, it's it's sort of a um, maybe it's maybe it's not that surprising, but I don't tend to hear as much, you know, like this conversation of you know an ethical approach to food in my experience in my life has been started by people who implement a plant-based or at least a non-meat based diet for ethical purposes or ethical reasonings um but i i think at the very least any diet that you take ought to have just like it ought to consider you know what's healthy are you getting the nutrients you need it also I would say, along with people on this side of the fence, you know, it ought to include questions of is the way that I'm getting my food something that is morally, ethically just. Um, And on that basis, I wanted to think about what, because, you know, for those familiar with the Old Testament, especially, but not exclusively, um, But you don't have to get very far into the Bible to realize that the Bible actually says a lot about food. (laughs) Um, And it's it's more more to the point, it says a lot about what kinds of food you ought or ought not to eat. Um, And yet, it's maybe not something that we're immediately uh, familiar with if someone were to ask to sort of twist the question a little bit. What is a quote-unquote biblical ethic of food, right? What or diet? Um, because there are Christians who will argue for vegetarianism or veganism um, on the basis of Christian ethics, um, and then there are others who who will argue that that's not what is indicated by the scriptures, or certainly at least not what is required by the scriptures. But if I'm going to say that ethical questions related to diet are important questions, it stands to reason that if I were to want to look at what it is that the scriptures do have to offer us as far as asking and answering the sorts of questions that this conversation brings up, I want I wanted to approach what the Bible says about food consumption, dietary restrictions, those sorts of things through the broader lens of what is the, what are the sorts of considerations ethically or morally that God has given us to consider our diet with. And so that's kind of how I want to approach the conversation. It's how I approached the, um, a couple passages in scripture that I'm just going to pick a couple out to sort of show my point. Um, obviously, um, there, there could be and have been volumes written on analyzing these passages and, and what it mean, what they mean for Christians today and, and all that kind of stuff. But very long-winded way of, of starting by saying, like, I, for one, am all on board with the idea of um, being concerned with questions of ethics even when we're talking about just day-to-day, what am I packing my lunchbox for work or whatever? Um, and I think it's important 
doubly so in a society where we consume and purchase all of our food. Most of us, not all of us, um, but I know I do. <laughs> so that comes to mind as well. So I don't know what thoughts you have there or if you want to just go ahead and, and jump into um, some more like sort of, well, what, what, would a, what would a Christian or a biblical or a, or a, um, a historical theological perspective on these things be? But um, that's, that's how I wanted to kick it off at least. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think that that is, it follows a similar path that, that I wanted to go down as well. Um, one of the only other things I wanted to say, I think, is, is simply the challenge, um, as you sort of alluded to in mentioning, like how we get our food. Um, not everybody in our country has the blessing or the privilege to be able to make, produce, or source their food easily. Um, I think of like food deserts. I think of um, places where, um, you know, typically in impoverished areas where even grocery stores aren't set up, um, or at least not ones that have uh, reliable um, variety, I guess you'll say. Um, also the challenges of, I think of medicine, for example. So you, you alluded to the fact that you don't need to regulate your sugars like I do being a type one diabetic. And I naturally think about like, well, where did we get insulin when it was first discovered? I mean, it was an animal byproduct. It was it was from working with dogs and pigs that we learned basically that like we can manufacture this. And I, I should have looked up like the modern day practices. I don't think that's how we produce it anymore. But that's like a great example, though, of like working with animals to uncover a, a medicine that will help people live. I mean, prior to the the production and manufacturing of modern day insulin, diabetics just died. I mean, this is part of why life expectancies have increased and have improved in our modern times. It's because people with things like type 1 diabetes no longer just die. Um, because uh, if you if you don't know this, basically, like for me, if I stopped giving myself insulin, I would almost have to eliminate carb intake. So that's not just sugar, that's bread, that's rice, that's all sorts of like carbohydrates are more than just sugar. And even if I did that, though, uh, I would still have problems regulating my sugar. And so eventually also you need carbohydrates, you need sugar. Um, and so eventually what happens is a is basically a diabetically induced coma, um, whether you have too much sugar or not enough either way without that insulin and um, like dietary management, you will end up basically passing away. Um, and so like what, what what do we make of things like that where um, advancements in modern medicine are started at least in part with with animals. I, I I wonder if we if we had an ethical vegan here, for example, like if they would protest against something like that, and what what other ethical challenges that brings up in conversation. So, um, I think now, as you said, would be a good time though to to turn to scripture, to turn to Old and New Testament passages. I have a few as well, but I'll let you kick off with what you had. Yeah. Um... I think the place to start uh, thinking through like what what can we or, or, or should we eat or not eat um, is Genesis 9, especially verses 3 and 4. This is after the flood um, where God is making his covenant with Noah to not destroy the earth. Part of that, part of what the, 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 the promises as well as the... Um, commands that God gives to Noah and his family involve certain moral 
laws. Um, this, you know, just, so this is after the Garden of Eden, but this is before the giving of the law on Sinai, like capital L, the Mosaic law. So, so this is these are these are instructions, commands, as well as promises given by God to Noah as he and his family are in the course of the story. This is the entire earth has been washed clean. Um, so they're re they're they're sort of restarting Eden 2.0 um, within within the text. So um, one of the things, well, I guess there's two things to note um, is that he tells Noah you can eat meat. And so two quick observations. One, um, this was not how humans lived or at least were to live originally. So you don't see this uh, command or uh, information given in the Garden of Eden, right? You will, the, the tr- all the trees will give you their fruit, except for this one tree. You don't see a mention of eating animals, eating meat. Um, right after Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, um, you have with Cain and Abel, they were, um, uh, Abel was, was raising, he was a shepherd, and uh, he had livestock, and uh, Cain raised uh, crops. Um, I think I have that right. I don't think I have that backwards. But um, the reason I bring that up is you would think, um, and and I think quite reasonably, <laughs> if if you know there's enough of a need for uh, within this the the early post fall human community for uh, shepherds, you know, for people actually raising not just you know a sheep or a goat, but a whole herd or a flock. Um, Maybe maybe it, it that included um, livestock that was being raised for meat, um, but we don't we don't see that explicitly stated. It could have just been for, you know, wool and uh, milk and cheese and butter, like those kinds of products where you're not actually consuming the animal, but just consuming the raising it and using the byproducts. Um, but regardless, what we have. Observation number one is in Genesis 9, God explicitly gives Noah permission to eat meat. And so the two observations are that was not original. um, And you could look at that as either, well, that settles it. You can eat meat. End of story. You know, if 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 it was fundamentally unethical to eat meat, God wouldn't have ever allowed for his people to, to do that. Um, and you can also look at it as um, a, a, you know, in a different, say this a couple different ways, but this is, this is something that is being permitted after the fall. So it's sort of like a, you know, a sign that things are not how they once, you know, were intended to be. Um, at, you know, a sign of that is the fact that part of the way we receive our sustenance is through killing, uh, whether that's, you know, hunting in the in the woods for your your meat or whether that's raising domesticated uh livestock and and that kind of thing um the other command related to food that's interesting is he is he is commanded not to eat blood and uh, which will be very important later in scripture um it comes up again and again and again and again 
Um, but we don't have to wait because God gives Noah the reason why he can't. So, so this is just sort of, you know, a very clear black and white. You can eat meat, but you cannot eat blood. And the reason that God gives is that the blood of a living creature is its life. It's, it's you know, life blood, life force. You know, we, we can... We could get more into that. That might be a separate conversation, though. Um, but this, I think, sets up the foundation for what it is that we ought to be looking at and looking for when we're thinking through this question of the the you know the the ethical dilemma of do I eat meat or not? So. On the one hand, yes, God says, eat meat. So there's there's something about eating meat that is not intrinsically immoral, right? Like if, if we're just, we're operating from the assumption that the scriptures are true, that they're authoritative, uh, that they, they, you know, they reflect uh, God's character in a way that is accurate. So God giving this permission indicates that it's not, 100% of the time, you know, evil to eat meat. So that that's something that a, a Christian who takes the scripture seriously as authoritative um, needs to recognize uh, with respect to, you know, taking this position um, on, on an ethical ground of vegetarianism or veganism. Um, but there is a limit right from the beginning of this permission the, there is a specific limit based on this principle of the blood containing the life of the thing, the living creature. Um, and so it is it, it would be an overstep to not merely kill and consume an animal, but to kill and consume its blood on this basis of that being, you know, its life. Um, I'm going to pause there. Because you seem like you you have some some thoughts as well before we before we whiz on uh, through and, and and I'll say like I was gonna I'm gonna go from there to the book of Acts so um, before we <laughs> before we jump forward um, yeah let let's let's uh, I want to hear what you have to say and in and anything else related to this passage yeah. or others in the Old Testament especially. I'm going to be very curious, dude, because I also jumped from this passage to Acts. Obviously, the Old Testament has a lot to say. You can look in passages of Leviticus and Deuteronomy um, and giving of the law, so on and so forth. Um, but like you said, I, I think it's really interesting. And I I'd also sort of thought about Genesis 9 a little bit in particular. And I'm wondering, I mean, you mentioned it well in, in talking about the blood and saying how, how blood um, is like life. And so... I think one reason that God prohibited the, the consumption of animal blood in the Old Testament was to teach a respect for the sacredness of life. Um, because throughout the Bible, blood is viewed as a symbol of life, as you said. And so it's also interesting, the, the first mention of blood, though, in the Old Testament, you also, again, alluded to this, but Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so the shedding of blood represented a loss of life. Um, and in the New Testament, not to fast forward too far ahead, but like the quote, blood of Christ is a common figure of speech for the death of Christ. Um, so blood, blood has this, uh, 
it's, it's tied and tethered to life. Um, and I think another reason for God's command here um, has to do with sacrifices. Um, I think, as we'll see again in, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in Second Chronicles even, um, but blood was for the atonement for sin. And so therefore, blood was seen as a sacred thing in that regard as well. And so God wanted to ensure that the blood of the sacrifices was always considered a precious thing. Um, I have to imagine, like, again, thinking about this uh, from a perspective of, like, people living in the world, people living in a sinful, fallen world, and who knows any number of weird and twisted and wicked things people were doing to animals and to other living things, people even. Obviously, Cain kills Abel. Um, but what what it would have looked like, whether it was from like a sacrificial, thus like religious perspective, and then just from like a living day to day with other, with other living sentient beings, whether that be other humans or other animals. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think there's a sense in which God could not allow blood to become common or to become just another thing to consume um, because it was meant to be precious and, in, 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 you know, like we're saying, viewed in this almost theological light. Um, so th those were some of my like old Testament thoughts as well. Um, I'm curious, I guess, like how you're going to tie this into acts. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be similar to, to what I have from acts nine. Is, is that sort of the direction you were heading? I'm actually going to acts 15. Okay. If we want to hit chapter nine, so I'll do acts to nine go then. In, in order somewhat. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I mentioned this on a recent episode. I don't remember why, um, but we were talking about something, uh, but we, we got on the topic of Peter's vision in Acts of the, the cloud. Um, oh, it was in our dreams episode. We were talking about dreams and visions and waking dreams, etc. cetera. Um, but, but Acts, um, wait, is this Acts 9? I forget actually what chapter it is. I, I didn't put the chapter. It starts in verse 9. Um, but regardless, then it says the next day as they were traveling, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He was hungry, wanted to eat, um, but he fell into a trance. So again, that like dream, waking dream. So he, he, he saw heaven opened up and an object that resembled a large sheet was coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all of the four footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Um, so I think that this is sort of a, a paradigm shift um, theologically speaking for Peter as he as he has this vision this this trance this waking dream um, he hears a voice from heaven and immediately attribu attributes it to the Lord because he says no Lord um, and so I think for Peter again this is authoritative this is um, a changing of trajectory a changing of his livelihood of how he had lived up until this point um, he says in verse 14, for I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. On the one hand, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if Peter ever slipped up or had a nibble or whatever. But regardless, he says, I've never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Um, and so he has a mindset. He has a, a, a worldview, a, a paradigm for how, how he's to operate as it pertains to the animals in the world. And the Lord tells him um, what God has made clean, do not call impure. Um, 
really interesting passage as well. Uh, the, the voice literally telling, telling him to get up, kill, and eat. Um, I have to imagine, again, that, that blood is still a factor here, as we've said from, from the, the passage in Genesis. Um, but for a, a Jewish man to, to eat food that was previously deemed unclean, it is now called clean, and he is free to eat it. Um, so curious what, what you have from Acts. Yeah, before we before we move on from from Peter's vision, um, Peter himself immediately afterwards, when when Cornelius's servants come to call him to come visit Cornelius because of the vision Cornelius had, um, he he when he goes with them says to Cornelius, um, he identifies the message of this vision being that the Gentiles are. Um, fully fully incorporated into the covenant community through Christ. And so the the separation of clean and unclean, which was to separate Jew and Gentile, um, that dividing wall has been torn down in Ephesians 2's language. Um, and so uh, he recognizes that this is not, it's, it's not like he just gets this random, you know, <laughs> very specific given just to him straight from God, you know, correction on food laws or something like that. But it, it immediately is borne out in that he sees the Holy spirit fall upon the Gentiles at, in Cornelius's house. But um, it's not that that at the same time, it's not that that vision does not ha- bear impact on what the, community of faith, the new Israel, the church, the people of God, um, you know, the one people of God now made up of Jews and Gentiles instead of just Jews, what can they eat? Um, And this is part of the question that results in the first churches, the first council of the church. In Acts 15 is where we have the Jerusalem council. And what's being discussed is do Gentiles need to submit to the law in order to join the church? And what that would mean, among a whole variety of other things, is they would be responsible to keep kosher law, food laws because that's part of the law. And uh, James, presiding over the council, he you know gives the the um, the sort of the conclusion, um, which he says has, has been guided by, you know, their decision was guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, And he says Gentiles, you know, basically they don't need to become Jews in order to be Christians. Um, This goes back to what Peter saw in his vision and and the the fact that people like Cornelius and his household and the Philippian jailer and Lydia, that these Gentiles had been uh, brought into the covenant. But he says you don't need to submit to the law. These are the ascent, these, these are the, the necessary things that you have to do. And he just and he gives a list, one of which, curiously, especially curiously for um, a lot of us Christians living uh, many centuries later, he says, you must not eat blood. And immediately, if you're, you know, not a Seventh-day Adventist, basically, or an Ethiopian Orthodox Christian, if you're any other kind of Christian, and you take two seconds to think about it, 
you might say, well, wait, I don't, I thought I didn't follow the food laws. I thought call nothing unclean, which, which I have made clean. And Paul says, you know, don't eat meat if it's going to cause your weaker brother to stumble, but you can eat whatever you want because you know that, that the power is not really in these things. But what James, what the church is commanding of all believers, not just the Jews, um, is to not, is the same thing that God gives to Noah in Genesis 9 about eating meat. He's not saying don't eat meat. He's saying don't eat blood, right? So we can see that. But this is a commandment that goes deeper than the law of Moses. Because remember, this is given to, to Noah many centuries before Moses. Um, and bef- before the division of clean and unclean animals was given to Israel, the people of God already had this understanding through their just, you know, going down from Noah, not to eat blood. Whether or not they actually did that is a different story. But but this is something that is not part of the Mosaic Law. It's it's It transcends the Mosaic Law. And you'll notice reading through uh, the law, like reading through in Leviticus, there are certain commands that it says are, are not only for Israel, but are for all the nations as well. And uh, these are often called the Noahide laws because they match up with the things Noah was told. So like, don't kill. You know, that's... That's not a law that only applies to Jews in the eyes of God. Uh, don't eat blood is also one of those laws. Sexual immorality um, and caring for the poor. The exact things that James notes in the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, um, towards the end there in, in verse 29. And so what's the point of all this? The point of all this is that um, the choices are not kosher or eat whatever the heck you want. But the choices, according to the biblical witness, according to what God has given his people, is that he has given us not only all the fruit of the earth, but also um, meat. But there is an expectation, there is a, a responsibility that comes with consuming meat. So the way I am choosing to put it is that any ethical, any, any approach to, to food and diet that is going to be taking seriously questions of ethics from a Christian perspective needs to start from this idea that in scripture we kind of see encapsulated with the comments about the blood. So it, the, the questions need to start from this principle of, of a, a thing's life. Life is what is important. There's something about life, not just the human life in question who's doing the eating. But obviously, even back in Genesis 9, even for God, there's, there's something valuable about the life of a cow or a pig or whatever. Because it, he didn't say, you know, oh, you can't murder you can eat meat, you can't eat human blood, right? He didn't say that. He just said blood. So even though he's saying you can eat meat, even those things that it's okay to eat, their blood, their life, as he says, 
um, is there's something about it that we don't need to necessarily pin down right this second that is valuable, is sacred, has dignity and, and value in itself. And, and so that's, that's uh, why God says what he says. And think of this in terms of the commands in the Garden of Eden for mankind to, to steward, to have dominion over the earth. They, that involves not exploitation, right? Not uh, sort of stripping the land of its natural resources. Um, you know, we think of the, the, the ugliest forms of industrialized agriculture, mining, factory farming, right? right? We, can, we can go down the list. Um, that fundamentally goes against the Edenic command for, you know, I'm, I'm saying stewardship, dominion, to, to rule and subdue the land instead of assuming a posture of exploitation and taking, it's, it's a, it assumes that instruction from God assumes responsibility for the thing that is being ruled. The, the, the stewarding, the dominion over creation, for it to actually be, you know, functional, um, involves taking care of, right, the way that a parent raising a child needs to take care of the child in order for that thing to live and grow. There's something similar in the principle of how we as, as image bearers were called to rule over the earth. And so I think that um, with respect to food and the consumption of living things besides just plants, the consumption of animals, um, it's not a question of whether or not it's all right to eat meat. From a Christian perspective, that question is very, is very clearly answered, yes, it is. But there are ethical limits to eating meat. So something like factory farming is fundamentally different than something like raising chickens as meat birds, right? And you're back. I'm saying like like an individual person on in their home or or a little homestead uh, raising animals, uh, not just for eggs or, or 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 wool or whatever, but also uh, for meat. Um, there's there's a there's a difference fundamentally between those two things and the smaller scale version. You know, the person in the backyard uh, slaughtering chickens. You you could very easily do that in a way that is ugly and unethical. Um, or, or hunting, right, um, it would fall into this category as well. But there's, there's, there's a difference there in how you are responsible for the resources that you're taking from the earth. Because God has given us these resources... Uh, not to be exploited, but not to be ignored either, right? It's it's not that we need to see the potential for, uh, you know, meat or whatever to eat and ignore it out of fear of, of becoming irresponsible, but rather to, to approach meat eating for our conversation today with something, something like a disposition of stewardship versus a disposition of consumption. And um, 
that I think is the fundamental question that somebody who wants to consume nutrients, wants to bring in nutrients to eat in a way that is responsible on the basis of the witness of Holy Scripture, I think that that is something like that is where I think you need to come to. And to to go straight to, you know, Romans uh, Romans 14, you don't have to eat meat. And you don't have to be a vegetarian as a Christian. Both of those people need to recognize, acknowledge, and love the other rather than judging them as more or less pious or more or less mature. Um, and all that being said, so that, that's where I'm going to land the plane, but I'm also going to say it's actually on the basis of the New Testament, it's actually a sin to eat blood. You, you do actually have food laws, at least one, <laughs> that, is, that still applies to you no matter who you are. So don't eat blood. Which, thankfully for me, I, I, I can't even think of a single opportunity I've had to eat blood in my culture. I know that's not true in all um, f- cuisines around the world. But uh, it also just sounds very gross and like something I'm not interested in. So that one's easy for me to follow. But... Um, it is still nonetheless something that is a responsibility we have. Um, so some, something else to think about. But anyway, I've talked for a while. That's all I really wanted to say um, in, terms sure. of, in terms of points. So I'd love to hear any pushback or feedback. And then also um, other, uh, especially if there's other passages that come to mind that I skipped over or anything else that, that you want to add in that I missed. Yeah. I have just a couple of other thoughts before we end. Um, one of them is on Paul's teaching about meat sacrifice to idols. I think is really interesting in this conversation. And this is 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, starting in verse 8, it says, Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against your brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. We can have a whole episode on this passage. This passage is really strange and interesting. But verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again. So it won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Um, so I, I do think that, that that at least is relevant in this conversation, like on the, the topics of veganism, vegetarianism, especially when it's more ethically um, based, not just I eat vegetarian or I eat vegan because of health reasons. Um, I think that that has to say a lot about freedom uh, of our will, um, freedom of our conscience, about not binding other people's consciences as well. I think that that I think a lot of people who are um, really maybe more radical or at least just like stronger in their beliefs and their convictions will almost like put this on other people as like, well, if you're not doing this, like you're part of the problem. Um, when in reality, it's like, I'm just a dude living in the world trying to survive. I, I'm not some major corporation doing these things. Um, 
And so I, I, you know, this is this is a very nuanced conversation when we start getting into the weeds of the ethics of veganism and vegetarianism and how to steward the earth. And it also starts to cross lines that like, I, I think I think there are vegans and vegetarians that are Christians, but I think a lot of them too are just people who aren't maybe of other faiths or no faith. And so it becomes a little bit more difficult to even have some of these ethical questions when we're basing our ethics on scripture. Um, so, but it, that's at least worth saying though, that like Paul said, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat. Um, that's a pretty strong statement. Like that's his conviction was so strong that like if for the sake of those who were quote weaker in their faith, he would abstain from eating meat which was his right. He could eat as much meat as he wanted. Um, again, as, as long as he abided by the, you know, the rules and restrictions that Lucas has already outlined. Um, another thing I wanted to mention uh, is actually in Revelation. Um, we all know how easy, to, how easy it is to read Revelation and understand everything clearly. Um, but I think at, at the very least, uh, Revelation 21 in verse 4, it's talking about Christ wiping away every tear but this is where it gets interesting. He says, death will be no more. Pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And so I think there's a reality in which in the, the new creation, with the new heavens, in the new earth, the lion lies down with the lamb, figuratively and literally. Um, I think we will exist on a plane uh, where it says death will be no more. So I think we will not eat meat, or if we do, it's not animal meat. I don't know what that means. If if, if God has some sort of magical, you know, way way to to get, you know, I'm thinking of like even Jesus feeding the five thousand, the way he was able to like make the the food proliferate um, to all the people. But like in the end, there will be no more death. If if there's no more death, then we can't kill animals and consume them. Um, so in the new heavens and the new earth, this this new creation, this recreation of Eden, I think will be more like what it was like in the garden. And Lucas alluded to the fact that like you could eat the 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 plants and the fruit and the the things, except the you know the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. Um, and so it makes me wonder, like what what is the the end? What are we what are we working towards? What does that then look like? now how do how does that inform how we live and move and breathe on this plane of existence today and i think in the end even jesus himself was not a vegetarian jesus himself was not vegan um, the bible records jesus eating fish in luke 24 lamb in luke 22 um, jesus again miraculously fed crowds fish and bread um, which would be a strange thing to do if he was you know a vegetarian or a vegan to feed people more meat. Um, again, there's th the vision that Peter sees about clean and unclean food. Lucas has already talked about the theological implications. Um, but God has given humanity the permission to eat meat in Genesis, and he's never rescinded that permission. Um, and so I think that, like, yes, we can talk about the ethics, but I think we, we should also talk about like what we are free to do in Christ. We are free to eat meat and so i think if anyone were to tell you otherwise like that is a problem more than eating meat i think that's an example of perhaps somebody trying to bind a conscience um which again we can it, this is this is such a nuanced conversation one that i don't i don't want people to mishear me i think that we absolutely should um think 
first and foremost about about life about not taking life um but in the end like we have this permission this ability to eat meat and as somebody who's a diabetic like i need protein so if i'm not going to eat meat i have to eat something else so where would i be getting my protein and perhaps that's where a conversation is had where someone would say oh have you tried this this has this is full of protein and it's not an animal and it's not an animal byproduct um but again with all this being said there there's nothing wrong with a christian being a vegetarian there's nothing wrong with a christian being a vegan um the Bible does not command us to eat meat. It gives an allowance to eat meat, but it doesn't say you have to, right? Um, and so there's nothing wrong with abstaining from meat. Um, but what the Bible does say is that we should not force convictions about this issue on other people or judge them. Um, you know, Lucas alluded to Romans 14, um, two through three, which says one man's faith allows him to eat anything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And I, you know, even, <laughs> is that to say that like vegetarians are weaker? I don't think so. I think sometimes vegetarians and vegans are, are stronger in their faith even than I am. Um, but it goes on to say, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does for God has accepted him. And I think that's the bigger thing is like how we treat one another more than what we, our individual selves do right? Like if, as long as we are living and doing the things that scripture says are okay, that's fine. But I think the greater problem is when we start to like be combative, when we're argumentative, when we start to, um, again, try to put a conviction on somebody else that they themselves do not hold to. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. I'll just sort of wrap up by saying like, God has given humanity permission to eat meat after the flood. In the Old Testament law, the nation of Israel was commanded not to eat certain foods, but there was never a command against eating meat. Jesus declared all foods, including all kinds of meat, to be clean in Mark 7, 19. Um, as with anything, though, each Christian should pray for guidance so as to do what God wants for that individual. Um, and whatever we decide to eat is acceptable as as long uh, as long as we are, I think, um, giving thanks to Him, not eating blood. Um, but you know that that idea of like what whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In in First Corinthians ten thirty one, um, I think that that is that should be both the starting and the end point. That whether we're eating or drinking, whatever we're doing, that we're doing all to the glory of God, and that includes having dialogue with people with which we disagree. People who have divergent opinions, differing beliefs, and, you know, convictions that are different and distinct from your own. Um, so yeah, again, I feel like I'm, in, I'm rambling on at this point. Um, but do you have any pushback against any of that? Any thoughts on what I've said? Like, am I making sense? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, yeah, I think there, I'm sure that there there could be some kind of follow up question to to some of that, but I think that it that pretty succinctly sums up what we've been saying. Where you know the the question comes down to a question of priorities, and obviously you can turn vegetarian or veganism into some sort of law, some sort of man made law, just like you could make some sort of you know, the opposite, where if you don't eat bacon, then, you know, 
you're somehow a worse Christian well, or something. And instead, you know, we ought to be asking these questions in terms of, well, what does the Bible actually say about food? And then probably, t- to your point, the, the points you were raising, probably even first and foremost, what, what does it look like to live in Christian love and charity with one another? Uh, you know, like, assuming neither of us are actually doing something wrong, which, you know, most of this episode was establishing we're not, how do we live in charity in, as, as, as two groups of people who are one in Christ, you know, or two individuals who are one in Christ, that's the number one. I mean, I mean, that's the only thing that matters really at the end of the day. So yeah. 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 I I, want to clarify too. Like it's, it's, I, my wife and I are probably people who think way more about food than your average person. And naturally we have to as as i've already said as a diabetic and i've said this before too but my wife has crohn's disease so like both of us have reasons to think long and hard about what we're consuming whether it be myself um, i avoiding excessive carbs and excessive sugar and just like managing my diet with insulin and good food and then my wife having all sorts of uh, allergies and sensitivities and things that she has to refrain from um, for for her health's sake as well um, and so I, I think about these things all the time from a slightly different perspective, mind you. But I think still at the, at the end of the day, like thinking about how, I, how do I live faithfully in the world? How do I, how do, I um, do as little harm as possible in, in all the ways that I live? Um, and so I, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day, like I'm sort of stuck in the middle, though, too, because I, I want to be a vegan or a vegetarian or somebody who's even more mindful if I could be um, like we haven't even touched on things like cosmetics and testing and yeah. just like the ways in which animals are treated other than for the consumption of um, for food uh, but like that's a whole thing as well is how do we treat animals and th- this this idea though has even changed in this maybe Lucas and Elaine maybe feel similarly but um this has almost changed how my wife and I even like interact with our pets. You know, it's kind of funny how we become so used to having cats or dogs or whatever types of creatures living in your house. And for so long, for myself at least, I have just viewed them as this like, yeah, you're my pet. I own you. I do take care of you. I feed you. I give you water. I, you know, play with you or whatever. But I sometimes forget that like in a sense, like my my two cats are sentient beings. They're beings, even if not as advanced or as as rational as I am, that have like wants and desires and quote unquote passions. All I have to ask my cat in the morning is, are you hungry? And she starts freaking out wanting food. Um, and so it's like, how do we how do we live with even our pets? How do we treat the animals that live with us? We're not just talking about like how we treat you know factory farming and all the things we've already alluded to but like how do we engage with with god's created order um with with trees with plants with um because we i mean we haven't even talked about things like deforestation and i guess lucas alluded to like strip mining and other things like that that harm the earth but like how do we cultivate creation um both sentient and otherwise and how do we do so in a way that like honors that thing while also honoring God and others. I think that's just like the the challenge of living and engaging in the world. Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said a second ago, there's, there's, I'm sure there's more that could be said that neither of us have thought of, and I'm sure that we could each continue on for a while um, uh, expanding on things we have already said. So that being said, I think we'll wrap it up there. We want to thank you for tuning in to this episode as well as any other episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, if you want to connect with us, reminder, Elliot sent in this question that spawned an episode, so please do connect with us. Um, social media at Doxology Podcast or email at, oh, sorry, email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Um, we'd love to hear not just ideas for episodes, but any feedback, any questions. Just say hi, whatever you want to say. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, see ya.